Today's teaching text comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning again. It's good to see all of you. Again, my name's Guy, if we haven't had the chance to meet, and um, I have the chance to be the pastor here, and it's a great pleasure and honor to be with you this morning. This is at a historic moment in our country, don't you think? There's a couple of things that are happening in the life of our great city and the world, and I don't know if you were paying attention or not yesterday, but something quite historic took place. Um, my daughter turned 13. That was, <laughs> let's start out, let's start out with the big stuff, okay? I know it's surprising to you that I have a 13-year-old. We started young. Just kidding. I don't, I have no idea how old I look. Okay, let me anyway, <laughs> I um, uh, digress. What I really want to say, though, is take a moment for us as a community of faith to celebrate what's worth celebrating, to tell the story that is worth telling. And so I'm just wondering if um, those of us in the room who are not women could stand and applaud every woman in the room. Can we do that? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we want to celebrate and love and support and say you are amazing. Maybe we should have had the women stand and we sat. No, that would be, that would be the opposite. Um, what an important and special and vital opportunity we have, not only as the country, and not only the other countries and cities around the world, but as the people of faith, to celebrate the beauty that God has put in all of humanity. And I want to say to you, as your pastor, that it has been a great joy to pastor alongside of some of the most amazing and, and, and godly people in this community um, but I also want to let you know that the future of this church is not male-led. The future of this church is not just about uh, the typical power structures or leadership structures that we might be familiar with, but that as we continue to become the church that God's made us to be, we get to do that together. Uh, all of us finding out what, what, how God has made us and, and contributing those things to become the people, the community, the force, the missional force in the world and in this city and in this neighborhood that God's made us to be. And we cannot and will not do that without the role of women. Amen? So thanks for letting me honor you ladies then that way. I didn't ask any of your permission in advance. I'm sorry. Um, that's, I guess that's the first step of me doing better at that. There are lots of seats, friends, so if you want to sit in the front, it's fine. Just come forward, grab a seat. We're not staring or taking roles or names or anything at all like that. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's pray and then jump into our text today. Um, Father God, 
what we um, need at this moment is not more religious exercises or even things to make us feel good. God, what we desperately need in this moment, what I need is to hear from you and for us to encounter you. We've done that already, Lord. We're so thankful that you're at work, that you're speaking through, to us through your spirit, through song and through liturgy and through scripture, through friendship, God. But in this moment, Lord, we long to hear from you through your word. And so we pray that um, we would be inspired, not because of me, Lord, but because of your activity in our lives. And so from the biggest skeptic, God, to the person who's been walking with you for the longest time, uh, Lord, we ask that you would speak, that you would capture our attention this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, um, as I said a few minutes ago, we're in this series called Hope is Here, and it's about, it's about epiphany. It's about the idea that Jesus' manifest presence is continuing to move out into the world and change things. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been asking a few questions. Those questions have to do with our identity, who we are. And last week, we talked about God's grace reshapes us and tells us who we are. That, that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Who are my people? And I think that's a big question a lot of us ask. And we were, we're looking at the scriptures and coming to understand that Jesus showing up on the scene helps us to redefine who our tribe is, that we're actually a family, which is part of the reason why like, what we do in here is so vital. It's so important. This morning, I want us to pause for a second and wrestle with that question, why am I here? Now, that's like a normal question we ask ourselves at the beginning of a new year, isn't it? Uh, we have resolutions. About 13% of us are actually still accomplishing them. If, okay, let's just do this for a second. If you're still crushing your New Year's resolution on day 19, uh, 22, day 22, uh, anybody? Anybody still? Handful, handful. Good job, folks. Good job. In the poetry world, you snap, and I've only got one hand, so that's what you're getting. Maybe some of us are still asking these questions this morning, though. Like, who am I going to be this year? You look back over 2016, and you think about some of the ways that you won, the goals that you accomplished, the things that you are proud about, and maybe there are other things where you just go, man, I want to be different this year. I want things to be unique. How will this year set itself apart? Others of us, I might, might even be asking, is this it? Is it the same struggle again? Is it that same thing, that same conversation, that same addiction, that same struggle, that same brokenness, that same relationship that just can never quite get right? Is it more of that? Some of us get stuck in the glory days of thinking about how it used to be way back, you know, whenever. And you don't even have to be that old to have those moments. For some of us, uh, it could have been last month or last year or 10 years ago. But we all, I think, no matter how we feel about what last year looks like and what or looked like and what this year is shaping up to be, I think we all long to know that we are living a meaningful life, right? I mean, how many of us legitimately, consciously wake up and think, I can't believe I've got another day at mediocrity. I am so ready to be just basic today. I hope nobody notices me. I hope everybody ignores what I've got to offer. I hope that I barely even know my own motivation. Like, nobody thinks that way intentionally. All of us long to have this deep sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. And I, I think there's, 
um, struggles with that, though. I think some of the challenges that come with uh, living this profound sense of meaning is that for some of us, we want that, but we actually lack vision for what that looks like. Does that sound familiar? That we have no vision for, for what the future could look like, for what our stories could unfold. We have no vision for what that meaning and purpose is supposed to look like, and so instead we wander. Any of you ever felt like you've wandered before? Any of you feel like you're in the season of wandering, just sort of like aimlessly looking for that sense of meaning and purpose? I think sometimes when we're in that space, we're tossed back and forth. It feels lifeless or we're jostled. It's just like whatever like good thing happens, like we just jump into that. There's the issue of no vision, but I also think there's the issue of having a scattered vision. Like maybe you have a couple of really key things, but they're all so good you don't know which one to pick. And so you're, you focus on this one thing for a little while, and then you, you switch, and you're like, no, no I'm going to go over here and, and focus on this thing over here. And then sometimes you just feel like you don't even know what's the most important. Any of us ever felt like that? Like we've got scattered vision. Our lives long for meaning, but we feel more distracted than living on purpose. We have no vision, we have scattered vision, but I think we also, some of us, wrestle with having the wrong vision. You are crystal clear on what your life is supposed to be about, but you don't realize yet that it's death for you. That it does not lead to the life of meaning and purpose that you were made for. It could be a career. It could just be simply defined as project self is, is how we talk about it most often here. That, that somehow your own story becomes the central role in the movie of your life and everybody else is just a supporting cast and they're only there to help promote you so that you can live out your narrative. And I wanna tell you, friends, Project Self feels really good at the time, and Project Self is really popular. It's the way that our city is sort of um, discipling us in a way to live, but I ultimately believe that Project Self is the wrong vision. It's too small a thing. You've heard that quote or that question sort of tossed around, especially in big epic moments uh, in, in movies of like, what will you die for? And I think that's too small a question. I think the better question is, what will you live for? What are you living for? What's so captivating to you that you have oriented your entire life around that single vision? Paul in 2 Corinthians here is giving us a clue that something has ultimately and radically changed. That something is completely different. That the Paul that used to exist when he would traipse around the country and the world and kill people for believing in Christ, something has captured and reanimated his attention and his heart, and now he is going in a completely different direction. He says, not only am I different, I'm completely new. What used to drive him isn't driving him anymore. It's not enough. It's no longer compelling and fulfilling. Have you ever had one of those moments where you were like dead set on one thing and then something happened and changed and you all of a sudden were like, you woke up and you're like, oh my gosh, that thing is not it anymore. It's like when you realize there was better food out there than McDonald's, even though the fries are really good. It's like um, you used to go to Dallas Barbecue, but then Mighty Quinn's opened up across the street and you're like, why? You're filled with guilt and shame for ever having gone to that other place. Now, just for the record, I'm sure really great people work at and own and run Dallas Barbecue, and they are a viable business, and they're a part of an economy, and they're providing for people, so that's a good thing. 
I'm just saying there's, there could be, I'm just, just don't take my word for it, but there could be better barbecue in the world than other places. Okay, let's keep moving. See, Paul is trying to get our attention as we read this text from 2 Corinthians that he used to be uh, singing and dancing to a particular tune, and now that tune has completely changed. That some new piece of music has captured his attention, is animating his life. I think um, if Paul were around in 2009 on the side of a mountain in Washington State, he might have been captivated by a particular type of music, more so than others. There's a music festival that happens in Washington called the Sasquatch Festival. Any of you have ever heard of it or seen it? Three of you, fantastic. This, this illustration is going to be so great. At this particular year, on the side of this mountain is a band that's playing, and there's people like you would expect in this natural amphitheater space uh, that are dancing and hanging out and doing things that people do at concerts. Use your imagination. And then the camera pans over to the side while this band, Santa Gold, is playing, and this one lone person, without a shirt, mind you, is just having the time of his life. Now, I don't know if he's motivated by other factors or he's just really feeling the music. The world will never know. But he is dancing solo by himself. And I mean, dancing is a liberal term here. It's a generous term, but he's really enjoying himself. Shirtless, by the way, did I mention that? Just having the time of his life. And in the video, you can actually see and hear people um, sort of scoffing him, like making fun of him. Like here's that random one weirdo person off in the distance by themselves, sort of completely oblivious to the rest of the world. Now let's be honest for just a second. In New York City, we have the opportunity to see moments like that every single day. And let's also be honest, there are moments when you see that happening where you are both sort of terrified and intrigued at the same time. Am I right? There's a part of you that thinks, that takes on a certain sense of shame and guilt when you see people who are doing, who are behaving like that publicly, and you just feel like, oh man, I just, that poor person. And you start thinking about what their story is like and what must cause them to be so flamboyant and out there and doing all this, right? There's a part of, but there's also a part of you that wishes you could be that courageous. Come on, come on. There's a part of you that thinks, man, I wish I didn't care about what other people thought of me. I wish there was a part of me that was that just like willing to just give myself to something and it didn't matter where I was or who was watching. I'd like to think that that's part of what was going on in this man's life and in the crowd around him. But what you will see in just a second in this very sketchy video um, is this one single man dancing on the side of this hill and then watch what happens eventually to the crowd around him. So um, let's show this video real quick. All right, you've seen him go from one dude to now four people. And now a few more folks join in. And here comes the crowd, folks. Blue jean jorts, look at that, come on. There's a point here where it just becomes, there it is. 
There we go. Santa Gold, Unstoppable, 2009. What started out, we can, we can, cut, the, we can cut the video. There's just more of that, folks. More of that. And who doesn't want more of that? What started out as one strange, lone, probably judged individual just having a moment turned into the dance party on the side of the mountain that day. Literally, like, it's, it's, it's quite ironic and interesting, isn't it, that the song actually was called Unstoppable. And, and, and people are looking at this guy and judging him and thinking, what a, what a just, this man, at least he's having fun, I guess. And then slowly over time, he's created an, a moment that everybody else in that area says, I have to be a part of that. I think what Paul is helping us to see in this passage of scripture this morning is that there's a, new, there's a new song, there's a new dance, there's a new opportunity for us to stand up and to start being brave and courageous. And yes, it's possible that some people might look on with some sense of skepticism or judgment, but Paul is saying that his encounter with God has reconciled him to God, that God has now changed the way he fundamentally relates to the creator of the universe, and that's changed everything. He's a brand new person, and he can no longer keep doing the old things. No vision or scattered vision or the wrong vision no longer works. And so now there's this better dance. In fact, I think this is ultimately what's happened with Jesus himself. See, in first century Palestine, Jesus shows up on the scene, a lone person, a person that other people would look on and say, with judgment and skepticism, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Solitary man from the fields of Galilee begins to dance and live life so differently that not just one, but then two and three and a dozen and tens of thousands of people eventually start dancing with him. And so we find ourselves today resonating with the words of the Lord of the Dance penned by Sidney Carter. These are the words he says in his song. This is the chorus. It says, dance then, wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the Dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. Jesus has been dancing and showing any that would dare to see and watch and listen and follow how to dance with purpose and meaning. This is the great dance that we're invited into. This is the great dance that's been going on since the beginning of time. There's a word in the Greek called perichoresis, and it basically means that there's this rhythm, this reciprocal movement between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've spent much time in sacred spaces, but maybe you've seen this image in some of the stained glass or the artwork. This is essentially the way that the early church tried to capture the essence of this dance, that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit couldn't remain static but moved in motion. We even see that in Genesis. If you go back and read the way that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, that John in one one says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And how did God create the world? How did he create the world? He spoke. There was movement. It was dynamic. A great dance was happening at the beginning of time, and the great dance is still happening today. And so how do we join this resonant rhythmic movement? How do we hear the music? 
In a world where it's so easy to be scattered and distracted or to have the wrong vision, to be dancing to the wrong music, how do we have the courage to, to stand up and dance to the right thing? Well, I think part of the challenge is that to find the mission of our lives, it's, it's, it's really hard. There are problems in the way. Because again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us want that. We want to live meaningful lives, lives of purpose, but I think it's also difficult to find the mission of our life. It's hard to hear the music sometimes. What are some of the challenges, do you think, uh, that face us in hearing the music? Like, if you were to think for yourself, like, man, guy, I would love to not just have fun at concerts like that, and maybe that's the easy part. Maybe the harder part is actually in, the, in, a, in a metaphorical but real way. How do we, well, how do we take the metaphor and apply it to our real lives? How do I hear the music of Jesus? How do I dance like Jesus? How do, I, how do I take this idea and put it into practice in my own space? What stands in the way for you? What's hardest for you in hearing the music? I think a couple of things come to mind right away. I think one of the challenges, one of the problems uh, in, in, in hearing the music and joining the dance is that somehow along the way, we begin to think that the, 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 the dancing, the, the real work of the gospel, of church or of mission and the leaving, of, of living meaningful lives, that's for the professionals. So I'm gonna leave that for them. You ever find yourself saying that? Well, you know what? I'm just not that good at it. I'm gonna let so-and-so do it. And maybe it's an on-campus disciple or leader. Maybe it's a pastor of a church. Maybe it's a pastor from back home. Maybe it's some other person that you say, well, I just, they're just more Christian or more spiritual than me. We think somehow the choreography and the dancing happens somewhere else and it's not for you. I think sometimes we feel like super embarrassed. Have you, any of you ever felt embarrassed because of your faith? At, at, at my daughter's 13-year-old birthday party yesterday with her friends, somehow we got on the topic of, of things that we believe. How did that start? I remember how it started. We, um, somehow the girls started talking about unicorns. Okay, so unicorns comes up in the subject. I think, I think Emma got like a gift or something from one of her friends, and uh, it had a unicorn on it, and they got to talk. So there's a group of, uh, of her friends that are like vehemently debating the existence of unicorns. And another group of friends who are like, you've lost your mind. There's no proof. And so they're going back and forth. And I, I, I was sort of standing in the corner of the room, and I heard this phrase come out of somebody's mouth. Well, there's no proof that God exists. Ah! And I was like, okay, let me just keep cleaning up the pizza crumbs and just going to be over, over here. Which, by the way, the party was even in the church office of all places. So I'm just like cleaning up, and, and I'm like, okay, how is that going to go down? Because I'm just going to be over here, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, people don't believe in Santa Claus, or there's no proof Santa Claus exists, but he still brings gifts. I'm just, I'm like, all this stuff is going through my head. And then I realized, like, even in front of a bunch of seventh graders, there was a moment of just like, oh, I don't actually know what to say right now. This caught me off guard. There are moments where we're embarrassed. By the way, we didn't answer the question. We just kept moving. (laughs) Distraction. Somebody say something funny. Let's keep moving, you know, just... Dancing's for the pros, we're embarrassed. I think sometimes it's easier to just imitate what we see around us. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to learn a new dance. Um, thank God for YouTube, um, because you can at least watch it and practice in the privacy and, and, and safety of your own living room for a few moments before you hit the dance floor that night. But um, if, if you don't know how to do it, it's easier to imitate what you see other people doing. If you go back and watch the video of the guy on the side of the hill he wasn't imitating anybody else. He was dancing his own dance. I think part of what 
Paul's encouraging us to do is to find our own dance. I think sometimes we follow the wrong leader, and I think sometimes, uh, and this is just a snapshot, I think, of some of the problems and challenges and temptations that I feel at times. I think sometimes we also fall into the trap of, of, of only wanting to perform a certain way or for other people, and so we don't think about stepping out into that, that courageous space of finding our own dance. And sometimes I think it's just far easier to do things for our own pleasure, for our own satisfaction and benefit, than to try to find deeper meaning and purpose. What keeps you from starting the dance? In another place in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians. He says, For as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. See, Paul knew what it was like from his own story and also from watching how people tried to imitate the dance instead of giving themselves fully to it, that at different times our hearts get distracted, that we eventually can settle into the the, the destiny of destruction where our God becomes our stomach. That's basically trying to, 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 to point out that our desires become the thing that we serve, that we bow down to, that we follow. That every movement that we have in life is to satisfy those desires, not something greater. And so if we want to live this meaningful life and yet there's these challenges, one of the questions I have then is like, well, how do we do that? How do we learn how to dance? What are the ways that we could begin thinking about practicing following Jesus in this way? And I want to be honest with you, friends. I, there's so much of a part of me that wants to be like the shirtless dancer on the side of the hill that does not care what everybody else thinks. And some of you might even have that impression of me. And we could talk about real self versus false self and all that another time. But I'm just confessing to you. There's so much a part of me that wants to be the kind of person that just, just puts it all out there. It's just all in Texas Hold'em. This is it. All the chips are in the center. I'm dancing. I'm going for it. I don't care who else is looking. I want to be the kind of person that lives with that kind of reckless abandonment, and not just for myself, not just for my own reputation, but for something that is bigger and greater. And I think Jesus showed us the way to do this. I think if we would give ourselves in this day, in this season, in this year, to becoming people who are careful about learning how to dance for something greater than our own story, than Project Self, we could begin to see the steps that Jesus takes. See, Jesus is that dancer for us. Jesus is the one that stepped out of the crowd, that literally stepped out of heaven and said, I will show you how to be purely and truly and mostly human. The best version of what it looks like to be a human being, follow me. Do what I do. He truly is the Lord of the dance. And so Jesus' invitation to us is to follow him. That as we learn to dance, we become ambassadors in the world. That's what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians. That we become storytellers. That we become uh, beacons of hope and light. That we become good news. That we become the people that celebrate where the light is breaking in. Even more than that, that we become the kind of people that actually fight to find the cracks to let the light in. I was um, talking with a friend of mine this week and then saw something that he posted 
online. His name's Brian. Brian actually um, helped to plant, he planted a church and then now works um, here in New York City to help um, animate people to dance on behalf of uh, those that find themselves living on the streets. This is something that he posted this week. I think this is a really good picture of a place to start for us to begin thinking about how to dance like Jesus. Look at this. If you look at the list of the political activity of Jesus in just the Gospels, not throughout the entire New Testament as the early church tried to animate it, but just this beautiful picture of how Jesus himself danced. Look at the steps he took. Look at where he showed up and the dances he was taking. In John chapter 2, he led a protest and dismantled the systems of injustice. In Luke 4, he freed the oppressed. In Luke 6, his dancing looked like exposing the oppressor. In Matthew 6, he's giving to the poor. He's rebuking hypocritical religious leaders, Matthew 23. He's living for a very different sort of kingdom. He's rejecting Project Self. We see that in John 18. He's welcoming the refugees and the immigrants, which would have no context or or bearing on how we live our lives today, right? But man, if we would listen and watch to how Jesus is dancing, how could it inform the way we live our lives. He's dying to self and sacrificing for others. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the entire gospel show Jesus loving without discrimination. You wanna know what it looks like to dance. Maybe these are some of the steps that we could start picking up and imitating and living after and following in the way of Jesus. He prays for those who persecute him and he does good to those who hate him. Friends, you wanna know how to start dancing like Jesus. How to be the person who is willing to stand up and hear the music and start moving and inviting other people in so that they can taste and see what's really good. Maybe this is a possible place for us to start. Let's look at 2 Corinthians one more time. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Friends, it's possible that it's a brand new year and already you feel like your old self, like nothing has changed. And I want to tell you this morning, the heart of God sees you as a brand new creation in Christ. He does not see the worst thing you've ever done or the most terrible thing you've done in the last 22 days. He's not judging you because you have or have not kept your New Year's resolutions or because that old nagging addiction, sin, or problem has showed itself again. If you're in Christ, he sees you as a brand new person. All of this, of course, Paul says, is from God. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, he sees us as new creations, not because we keep working harder, not because we keep standing out in the middle of a crowd and dancing our own dance, not because we're committed to Project Self. God reconciles you to himself because of what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And as a result of that then, God expects us to fully embrace that free gift and then be animated by that free gift to go into the world to dance, to live a life of purpose and mission bigger than ourselves. Verse 20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us to the world, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Paul figured out what it looked like to start dancing and to become an ambassador of good news that there was a different way to live. And he invites us to see that and join him this morning. I mentioned earlier uh, the words of a song written by Sidney Carter called Lord of the Dance. And I would like to perform it for you now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't that be the day? All right. Um, That would be so very special for nobody. That That would be a terrible thing. But what I will do is read Uh, I will read the rest of the song. Um, And maybe it will give you a picture of how Jesus courageously stepped into our story as human beings and dared to dance and to live and to love in a different way. And maybe, just maybe, it will give us a different picture and motivation to pick up our own dance as well. The song reads like this, I danced in the morning when the world was begun and I danced in the moon and I danced in the sun. And I came down from heaven and I danced on the earth. At Bethlehem, I had my birth. I danced for the scribe and the Pharisee, but they would not dance and they wouldn't follow me. I danced for the fishermen, for James and John. They came with me and the dance went on. Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. I danced on the Sabbath, and I cured the lame. The holy people said it was a shame. They whipped, and they stripped, and they hung me on high, and they left me there on a cross to die. I danced on a Friday when the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. They buried my body, and they thought I'd gone. But I am the dance, and I still go on. They cut me down, and I leapt up high. I am the life that'll never, never die. I'll live in you if you'll live in me. I am the Lord of the dance, said he. I am the Lord of the dance, said he. Jesus' invitation to his early followers and to us this morning is that we would follow him in the dance. That we would reject project self. That we would name it for the small, scattered, distracted, wrong, deadly vision that it is. And that we would be motivated to find the song that Jesus dances to wherever we find ourselves in the world. And that our greatest purpose and meaning in life, friends, is to find that dance and to join him. And that's my invitation to us this morning. Will we dare to be like the shirtless guy on the side of a hill on a sunny day in Washington State? And will we find that song and join the dance? Will you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you so much for showing us how to do this. 
Thank you that we don't have to like create a bunch of energy or emotion, Lord. We don't have to get everything right first, that, that you invite us just like we are, and that in Christ you make us completely new. God, I pray for those of us in this room that don't feel new this morning. God, that you would step into our lives, our hearts, our minds in some very particular way, and that you would cause us to know you in a personal and real and deep encounter. In fact, it's just everybody's praying. I just wonder if, if, if that's you, if you long for an encounter with God, that if actually you, you would say, God, I actually don't even know that I'm, I feel even new this morning. I, just, I would love to pray specifically for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just say, God, I would love to feel new today. I would love to know what it's like to encounter God. I wanna pray for you. Father in heaven, you see the hearts and the minds and the lives, the hands that are raised in this room right now, God. You know the people that long to have an encounter with you, that are sincere in their faith, and yet also just saying, we don't know how to move forward. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help those of us in this room that that's true. God, I pray that you would help us to know you and to encounter you in a fresh way, God, that we would feel brand new, that the old is gone, and God, the sin and the weight and the brokenness, the disease that we feel now would be healed and restored, God. Bring us into relationship with you, Father, we pray. Thank you. You can put your hands down. As we continue to pray this morning, I wonder also if there might be a couple of us in this room that would feel like you, you, it was true of you that you would say, Guy, I've been living according to no vision or a scattered vision or the wrong vision for my life, and it's too small a thing. My life is too big. It's too important. I want to live on mission, and you would want prayer for that. If that's you, you want to say, you raise your hand, you would say, Guy, I want to live on mission. I want to join the dance. Even if you don't completely know what that's like, I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand too? We would just say, God in heaven, you see these hands across this room. God, you know that life is too precious, it's too important, it's too big of a gift for us to squander on ourselves, but that you have reconciled us to join you as ambassadors of good news in the world. And so, Lord, you see our hearts, you see our hands raised. We pray that you would give us courage, God. You would give us the ability to hear your voice this morning, Lord. That you would give us the courage to stand out and not be embarrassed, but to step into our office spaces, into our classrooms, into the streets, into our apartments, into the businesses, God, into the bars and the coffee shops all across this great city, into the subway stations, Lord, and that we would learn to dance your dance, God, to be people motivated by your mission, and that we wouldn't care who's looking because eventually others will join and others will be swept up and others will be changed because of it. In your name we pray these things. Amen.